Welcome to this Innovation Forum podcast with me, Ian Welsh. At Innovation Forum's recent Future of Food conference in Amsterdam, I was able to catch some of the participants for some quick-fire comment on the issues raised at the event and some more general food and beverage sector sustainability challenges. So, coming up are Dom Deville from the Wine Society, Hannah Sondergaard from Arla Foods, Owen Bethel from Nestle and Leah Rankinen from Polyg Group. I'm joined by Dom Deville, Director of Sustainability and Social Impact at the Wine Society. Welcome to the podcast, Dom. Thank you, Ian. Good to be here. The Wine Society, you set up a sustainability programme and strategy. Why don't you talk us through that? It was about a two-year process. We worked with some external sustainability consultants called Sandcroft. It took about two years to develop and we came out with five pillars. First pillar is around climate change, and so the focus areas in there are about reducing carbon emissions and enhancing biodiversity. You can't really talk about the two separately. Second pillar is on the environment, and this is about tackling packaging, which is about 42% of the Wine Society's carbon emissions, but also working around waste management as well. Third pillar was on responsible sourcing. So this is how do we raise environmental and human rights standards across the wine sector, particularly focusing on worker rights and issues in agricultural supply chains, which the wine sector has. Third area is around people and community. So this is health and well-being of our own people, our colleagues, um, equity, diversity and inclusion, and also what more can the wine society do in our local community? There is definitely an issue around diversity in the wine sector. So working with our local communities about how do we bring people who perhaps wouldn't have thought of getting into wine into the sector. And then the last pillar is on inspiring action. We can't do this alone. Um, tackling human rights, tackling big issues around climate change. It's not a commercial battleground, it's a shared responsibility. We need to work with our customers, we need to work with our suppliers, we need to work with the wider sector to tackle these issues. So that's why we've created that as its own separate pillar because we believe it's so important. So the Wine Society, it's member-owned. It has a position within the wine sector that enables it to do some advocacy, I would imagine. How are you pushing this sustainability strategy out into the wine sector in general? In a number of ways. We've just released our carbon report. So this is a really detailed roadmap into how we're going to halve scope three emissions over the next decade. We don't know how we're going to do all of it. We reckon we know about how we're going to do about 34%. The remaining 16% is probably going to have to come from decarbonisation of the economy, passive decarbonisation, etc. But we've published reports like that. We've just published another report around alternative packaging and lower carbon packaging and what that can do in the wine sector. I'm a member of the Sustainable Wine Roundtable, which is a group of producers, retailers, people from across the wine um, value chain to talk about how we tackle these big issues together. And I come and speak at events like this to get the word out there. I'm involved a lot and it it requires a lot of conversation because some of these issues are still new to the wine sector. I guess the elephant in the room in the wine sector is that simply transporting glass bottles full of liquid around the world isn't sustainable, is it? No, not in the way that we currently do it. As I mentioned earlier, packaging accounts for in total 42% of our carbon emissions. 31% of that is just from the manufacture of the glass bottles. And then there's a further 17% 
of our emissions is bringing that wine from the winery around the world to our site in Stevenage. So we need to do a number of things. We need to reduce the weight of glass, make it lighter, reduces carbon emissions in transportation and in manufacture. We need to look at lower carbon packaging formats, bag in box, plastic bottles, dare I say it. I know plastic has been demonized, but it's lower carbon option. And then the third area we need to look at is bulk shipping. So bringing it in big flexi tanks where the containers are full, you're not shipping air and you're bottling in the UK. We're looking at all three of those things. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be a gradual improvement over the next few years. To what extent do you think that moving away from a glass bottle is something that the wine sector as a whole would support? I think they're more and more open to it. So we literally launched our bag-in-box range yesterday. We're going to see how that goes. There was a time when people didn't drink wine from screw caps. That's changed. I think the wine sector is becoming wise to this issue. There will always be people that will only want to drink wine from glass. A large portion of our range will remain in glass for that reason. But I think there are more and more people who are prepared to try those other options. And things like bag and box, they're great. They look great. They fit in your fridge door. The wine lasts for up to six weeks rather than two days in a glass bottle. So for wines that need to be drunk, you know, that don't need ageing and you drink within 12 months, they're a great option. So I'm hopeful. Just for context, we're talking on the 4th of May, so you've launched this on the 3rd of May. Wine boxes have been around since the 1970s, so it's a back to the future almost for some of these packaging solutions. I think so, and we've got to get over this stigma of bagging box being rubbish wine. You know, we're putting quality wine now in these alternative packaging formats. Well, it's convincing to see how it happens, because as I said, you know, the transporting of heavy glass bottles is a tricky one to get around, yeah. but it's great you've got a strategy and I look forward to hearing more about it. And I speak as a Wine Society member. Excellent. Dom DeVille from the Wine Society, thanks very much. Thanks Ian. I'm joined by Hannah Sondergaard, EVP and Chief Agriculture and Sustainability Officer at Arla Foods. Welcome Hannah. Thank you very much. Perhaps you can outline for us how Arla Foods is developing its net zero strategy. We have a lot of focus in Isla around Scope 3. We've set commitments on Scope 3 for 2030, reducing by 30%. We have then introduced two big products, let's say, to help us get there. One is a farm-based climate check that we've rolled out across 8,000 farms, and we are in our fourth year of running it, which enables us to develop strategy at company level, but also the farmers to look at what they can do at farm level. The second product is an incentive model that we are now in the process of implementing. So on top of the climate check, we are now incentivizing the farmers that are taking most action. So we are allocating up to 500 million euros to pay out to farms that are taking action on climate. We heard a lot about, in the session we've just been involved in, a lot about the need for a drive from the top of companies, from the C-suite, from the CEO, to drive things through the company. I know this is something that Arla is very much involved and your CEO is very much involved in the push. Is that how you think the shift from commitments to action can be made? It has to be done from the top of the business, from the C-suite. That's where you can really get the commitments shifting into action that we need. In our case, we are a farmer-owned company. Uh, that means our board is a group of farmers and this is where we need the transition is our scope 3 is 83% of our emission at a company level. It's clear we need the farmer board on board with us. It took us some time, we invested quite a bit of time in making sure that we had them with us. 
it is really important because particularly when you're working with scope 3, in our case the farmers, the paybacks will be longer, it's more complex, so it's important that you have that commitment before you get going. Hannah from Harlow Boots, thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Joining me now is Owen Bethel, who is Environmental Impact Lead for Global Public Affairs at Nestle. Welcome, Owen. Hi, good to be here. Can you give us a bit of background as to what Nestle's net zero strategy looks like right now and how it's evolving? Nestle made a commitment to reach net zero emissions by 2050 at the latest back in 2019, which seems like quite a while ago now. And uh, a lot has happened since that announcement was made in September 2019. We've published a roadmap fully funded up to 2025, and that includes big milestones like reducing our emissions by 20% in absolute terms by 2025 and 50% by 2030. Since that point in time, we've been then embedding the roadmap and the skills necessary within the organization. We created an ESG strategy and deployment unit, which is then looking at all the projects we need to fund, and the key initiatives that are required to reduce our emissions and remove carbon from the atmosphere. We've also learned a lot, I think, on the journey around embedding sustainability into our brands and our communications with consumers. And that is something that's evolved over time. We recognize the crucial importance of that for making the case for decarbonisation. Do you think your consumers are engaged in these issues? I mean, do you feel that, do you have any evidence that your consumers are wanting you to be engaging in the decarbonisation push and thinking about net zero in 2050? I think there's irrefutable evidence that people care about climate change in many different parts of the world. It may not be the number one issue on their mind when they're purchasing a product, but if you can embed a positive message around what the company behind the product is doing, it adds value, it adds something extra to that product which maybe wasn't there before. And in a highly competitive environment, that's really important for a company like Nestle. I've heard you in the past talk about sometimes being the subject to scrutiny because it's a, it's a penalty of being an early mover. How do you keep momentum in a company like Nestle in the face of the sort of scrutiny that inevitably companies like Nestle are going to be subject to? To be honest, there is always a healthy debate around the pace and scale at which we can move as a company. We have to continue to deliver for our investors and for our retail partners and our consumers. None of that can be put into jeopardy by reaching net zero, but in fact, that's not the case. It's very much a win-win if handled correctly, but that doesn't mean there's not intense discussion and difficult decisions to make along the way. And that is something that we do see. There's a big challenge, and it's great to see that Nestle and other companies are taking on that challenge, but Owen from Nestle, thanks so much indeed. Thank you. I'm joined by Leah Rankinen, Director for Sustainability and Public Affairs at the Parley Group. Welcome, Leah. Thank you very much. So we've been talking about human rights and evolving legislation. How is the evolving legislative landscape impacting the poly group around human rights issues? If you think about the big picture, it means that, that we need a lot of proactive advocacy work at this time. There are a lot of overlapping legislation coming on around this topic. Corporate sustainability, due diligence, deforestation, banning the forced labour products. It requires resources, it requires good planning, that also the cooperation internally, that we find the right timing, that we are not in too early to make the decisions, that we all know all the interpretations all. Is the move towards due diligence, is that a particular challenge for you and how are you dealing with it across your different brands and products? We do have a different kind of a raw material so I think in overall 
the due diligence legislation is the company level legislation and then the other ones is like a deforestation or banning the forced labor those are going to the product level so th it's a different kind of approach actually and then we come to the implication that we need to look at the both levels that how we integrate that really into the governance into the operational level like the withdrawals or recalls for the products in the future and then the other way is the general due diligence what is the company level approach do you welcome this move towards a level playing field approach? I mean, do you feel it is helpful for you? Yes, for sure. And if you think about the overall legislative landscape, the big change has been that uh, companies recognizing and we also at public that there are certain legislation, it's good to say yes, actually. <laughs> so this is uh, particularly the, the harmonized level playing field is good that we don't have a country specific legislation coming and it helps us also towards our suppliers to increase the traceability and transparency. It came up in a session we were involved in just now, uh, the challenge around communicating on human rights issues and supply chains and how this sort of that's an evolving process for so many companies and the fact if they are now becoming transparent there will be more problems to talk about rather than the past. Is this something you recognise at Polygroup and th there's a need to be transparent and accept that there are going to be these challenges? I think generally companies are moving toward the understanding to be more transparent and so forth so it is helping and the reality is that it's good to talk about it that there are always challenges there will be challenges it's more of the questions that how we act and what we do well indeed lots of companies moving very quickly in this area but for now leah from Polygroup, group thank you very much indeed thank you and look out for more reflections from innovation forum spring conference series over the summer but for now goodbye